Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.fm. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk. We guarantee being on time and on budget. When we finish the project, get no extra cost. Contact us, onestop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today, I have David Davies, founder of AgUnity, a global technology platform providing cost-effective means for connecting with and supporting remote people. AgUnity launched the world's only smartphone OS that is specifically designed for the 1 billion people that, to date, have been left behind by technological advances and services. David will, te- will, will tell us how he came up with the idea for AgUnity, how it came to reality, and how SaaS and software founders can solve hard-to-find problems that make the world a better place while also serving for-profit business investment models. How are you today, David? Very well, thank you, Jody. Great. I'm really excited to have you on the show because in my mind, this is, this is not our usual you know, SaaS um, solving a marketing problem or something, but um, you really solve problems for African and sort of below poverty level farmers. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We work mostly with farmers that are living well below the poverty line. Usually a couple of, mm-hmm. you know, a dollar or a couple of dollars a day is their, their income. Yeah. They're usually in very remote regions and, mm-hmm. and the vast majority of them have never owned any technology before. So, you know, probably a third of them have had a feature phone um, and we're introducing yeah. them to their first smartphone. So we're really sort of addressing a market that's very definitely overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. The problems that come to mind on, or the challenges, well, those problems, I'm sure as well, but they're so almost mind-boggling, you know, just dealing with someone that, you know, is only making a few dollars a day, never used any sort of technology at all. Can you tell me, like, how you came to find, first of all, like, why did you decide to choose this market and how you kind of came about realizing that that technology could actually benefit this underserved segment of the population yeah well there's a little bit of background that goes to this but how we how we started it is actually a great story and it was a total accident but um the background is that i grew up on a big wheat and sheep farm in australia so i i know farming background but i worked all my life in technology um, mm-hmm. Except for one period, I worked for UNESCO in West Africa. So I had the opportunity for a year to see, you know, really low-income farmers and what their challenges were. Um, and then we had just exited a company in Singapore um, and were working on a blockchain-like technology for the market data space in banking. And we happened to get invited mm-hmm. to a conference in London, and it was 
um, there was a hackathon on the weekend, so I, I couldn't attend, so I sent one of the other founders, John, across to there, and he turned up direct off a flight from China and went to get his pass and found out about this hackathon mm. and called me up and said, hey, there's this FinTech for Good hackathon mm. as part of this conference, and Singularity University have a prize, and we all... You know, I've been a reasonable fan of, of Ray Kurtzel and Peter Demandis and a lot of their themes for a long time. And so they said to John, look, we have to come up with something really big and world-changing in order to win this. So the, the origin of Ag Unity was literally just winning a prize at a hackathon. And really? Okay. We were trying to come up with, you know, something that, you know, Singularity often often says, oh, the, you know, Peter Demandis often says that, don't try to solve a problem for a million people if you can do one for a billion people. Think big. Okay. And so we were just trying to do that. And because we had some contacts, we were speaking to a cooperative in South Africa and another one in India, and we're getting really good feedback through the weekend. And yeah. we we won that prize, but more importantly, um, Costa Peric, who ran financial, financial services for the poor for Gates Foundation, and another lady from UNESCO were there and, and they like beeline John after, a, the, after the presentation and said, look, we see this problem all over the world. We think you've just nailed it. We really want you to take it seriously because you've, you're hitting on a niche that mm-hmm. we see as a really, really big gap. So that was, that was just, you know, immediate verification from someone that does a lot of those projects, knows it very well. Five years later, we're still not... We, we, we're waiting now on... Five applications to do projects with Gates. So it's been five years, and we've never actually done a project. Okay, really? Okay, but he, he was the one that—not he, but they—they they were originally the one that gave you the validation on the idea. Yeah, he was—he was so profound about it. And what he said is, and he went on to elaborate. He said, "Gates Foundation." This is Bill Gates. Bill Gates was oh, no, directly was, communicating was, with you. Well, this was Costa Parrot, like the the head of financial services, the poor before okay. Michael took okay. that over. Um, so one of the the key divisions of Gates Foundation. And uh-huh. he, he was saying, or he, he went on to elaborate. He said, look, Gates is very methodical about when they do projects. They want to set yeah. up a community, set up an ecosystem that when they step away from it, it runs and it grows. Whereas, you know, we work with a lot of NGOs and they don't always operate as targeted as Gates Foundation do. And he said, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of times we've had everything running bright, we've stepped away from it, and it can be as little as a couple of weeks later, the whole thing's fallen apart. And he goes, Mm -hmm. what it most often comes down to is the simplest thing. It's often basic record keeping. Like a farmer will hand Mm -hmm. over wheat, and they'll come back to get paid, and they remember it differently to the person that received it, and they've got people who can't always read. And he said, it's a much bigger problem than you realise like, you know, we take it for granted in the developed world. We, you know, when I grew up, we take a truckload of wheat into the wheat silo and we get a little paper receipt and we think nothing of it, that we've handed over thousands of dollars worth of wheat for some right. note on a piece of paper. But if you did that anywhere in Africa or Southeast Asia, you'd never get paid. And so that right, means right. the whole supply chain doesn't function the way we in developed markets are used to. Like, they can't go, you know, mm-hmm. a smallholder farmer hands over his coca beans and the person doesn't pay him going to the police is just going to cost him money. There's no recourse. Mm-hmm. So everyone has to get cash on the spot. Everyone mm-hmm. doesn't trust each other. They don't tend to collaborate. And mm-hmm. that all just comes back to just being able to record. As soon as a farmer mm-hmm. says, you know, as soon as what we do on the phones, the main function we do is so simple. 
it's I'm a farmer, I hand over my coffee beans or my coca beans into the cooperative or the, the buyer, and I can record that transaction so I know I handed over 60 kilograms of coca beans and I'm gonna get paid this much in a few weeks later when they sold them. Just by being able okay. to do that has, and it's quite remarkable, that, that simple recording of the transaction so everyone's not reliant, like everyone can trust each other and they know what's happening. Right, right. That's yeah. led in some instances to farmers seeing a three times income increase. Is that because they're able to store the grains or the beans or whatever in, in a silo and and the price isn't so volatile? Is that sort of... Yeah, basically. Coca beans is it out. Yeah, so coca beans, if you've ever seen it, they come in a like a pod about the size of a football and there's about 20 slimy white beans in there. And so that's yeah. what farmers get off the trees. They'll typically put them in rice bags. And in the really remote areas, they'll basically, they'll harvest them for a day or two and then they'll hope someone turns up to buy them. And half the time, no one mm-hmm. turns up. And another half of the time, someone turns up and offers them such a ridiculous low price that they don't sell. Or mm-hmm. offers to pay them like a week later when they've got the money or something and that, that leads to a whole lot of problems. So what we try to do okay. is organize the farmers into a cooperative and usually the cooperative exists already we're just sort of making it work better so they can hand it over they can record phone to phone at the transaction that i've handed over 60 kilograms the person that received it they've agreed it and we do a encrypted transaction between the two phones using qr codes so the whole system works when mm-hmm. there's no signal or when mm-hmm. farmers haven't got a data plan uh, okay that's great yeah yeah well that's the main thing we had to do in the operating system so the reason we change, okay. all we really do is tweak Android. It's not a whole new operating system. But we clean off, you know, we get we get our phones out of China. We get pretty good waterproof $50 phones for $50 nowadays. But we clean off everything's on them. We put a clean Android on it and we tweak a few things in the operating system so we can update our app so that the phones have like a message queue, which is a bit like Tipco everyone's familiar with that so it sticks messages in a queue and then when the farmer hotspots off another farmer or quite often what happens in the middle of the night is as the signal the the air clears up and everything places that didn't have signal will pick up a bar of signal at like 2 a.m in the morning and our phones Uh will wait till that signal and send our transactions through okay Um, so you you just it's simple re-engineering but it's just doing something that's very important for this particular type of community so that the phones work offline they cache the transactions and then they send the transactions through and okay by being when they connect when they connect yeah yeah and what happens in ethiopia actually is the the buyers tend to go around to the farms and collect stuff and those farm the the buyers will have a data plan in their phone and they just give the farmer a temporary hotspot so the farmer can date all their transactions so we see that that's that behavior is common there Whereas places like New Guinea, they all tend to have data plans and they'll, you know, what common behavior is they'll do all their transactions and then once every couple of days they'll walk up the hill where they know there's a couple of bar of signal and get all the signals, uh, get all the transactions pushed through. Okay, that makes it. Can you go back and tell me what the original hackathon idea, what was, what was the problem that it was actually solving? Because I didn't quite get that. Yeah, it was really just record keeping for low-income farmers. It was it was the most simple okay. version of what we said, just being able to... So when we roll out the phones to farmers initially, and this is the other thing mm-hmm. that the the OS is... Well, it's not really an OS. It's it's a modified Android plus a super app that the Android boots up into. And okay. then the phone still works so, as a normal phone. 
Okay. But so it, that was where you that's where your your co-founder came up with the idea. And and where yeah. did he get this idea? Because you had been to you had spent the year in Africa or what was it coming from? You were saying, yeah, "Why was, don't we do this?" It was it was sort of a combination of things. So back in 2008, I think I had a company in Japan and mm-hmm. we mostly did work for the big banks, but then we Japan had the first web browsing phones um, called iMode from Docomo, which is quite famous, and they, they were like way ahead yeah. of everyone. But what, what a lot of people don't know is there were JSky and, I oh, forget the other one, EasyWeb. There were three actual different standards, and they were completely incompatible, classic Japan thing. And while Docomo had half the market, if you wanted to do a... Uh, any sort of web browsing system, you really needed to make a middleware application. So we built that, and we had a big customer called Newskin. Um, it released it to like over a hundred thousand people at Tokyo Dome um, at their big annual event, and and the system worked flawlessly. All the like nowadays, it's so simple, but in those days, it was breakthrough that yeah. know, um, a Newskin distributor could look at their phone and see how much um, they earned this month from their their network down the thing. That was just that was considered like groundbreaking at the time. So we had a background in how introducing mobile phones into a market, like a smartphone type technology could be transformational. And we also had the experience from spending all that time with UNESCO in Africa that the farmers just didn't cooperate and they use, if, if they had smartphones, they mostly just used it for Facebook. It wasn't doing anything productive because tools that they had weren't really designed for what they do every day and what they do is so simple it's like they want to organize like when we roll out our phones it's got the super app on it it's only got three applets in it and the number one is a planning function so it's like i'm gonna i'm harvesting my coca beans now or i'm harvesting my coffee i want to make sure the washing station's open when i hand it over Mm -hmm. really basic but you know sometimes these guys are walking four hours to hand over their coffee um, yeah. so it's actually a big deal to know that you're not going to walk four hours and then have to walk back with all your coffee. Um, and so this is like sort of planning with the other end then. Yeah. It's just so it's what, planning like, okay, you, are you going to be there? I'm yeah. coming down on the 23rd. Are you going to be there? Uh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. It's, that would be huge. And what happens with coffee a lot is they'll hand over the coffee and they'll get a certain price when they hand it over and then they'll mm. record what they've handed over and the coffee goes through a grading process and then they get some more money later. So the other thing is the the washing station with coffee often needs to know how many farmers are likely to bring something in so that they've got the right amount of cash on hand to pay the farmers just for the handover at the time. And, and, you know, that's particularly problematic in places like New Guinea where there's high crime rates. Mm -hmm. Previously, we had vanilla farmers that were driving around with, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of cash in the truck, and they actually Mm -hmm. had to have people with machine guns on the truck for protection. Um, which, you know, you're picking up vanilla beans. It shouldn't be that complicated and dangerous. That's right. We've now flipped that so that the farmers, you know, the farmers tell the the buyer where they are so the buyer plans out the route a whole lot better. The farmers hand it over, just record the QR code. Everyone's got it recorded. You know, the transactions get written to the blockchain so even we couldn't change them if we wanted to. And then, then that organisation can either transfer money direct to the bank account of the farmer or the farmer can turn up another stage and treat the cooperative or the buyer a bit like a bank. And okay. that is that functionality or that 
you know, recording the handover and then just being able to cash out bits and pieces, you find that women farmers predominantly use that cash out a bit at a time bit because mm-hmm. one of the things that happens a lot in developing markets is women are a majority of the farmers and they tend to be the ones that will hand over crop. But when they bring cash back to the village, the, you know, the husbands and the sons and the relatives turn up and everyone wants a bit of the cash because they know they took coca beans into the town. Everyone knows they're coming back mm-hmm. with money. And you see this situation that their year's income has gone the same night. And women farmers are predominantly much more vested in improving the, you know, the education of kids and other things. They're much less likely to have a party with money. So you really want to yeah. make sure that they can protect their income. And that's what the egg unit okay. system does for them, that they, it allows them to say, okay, I've handed over my coca beans and I'll get um, 20 keener or 20 shillings out now and then I'll go back in a few weeks' time or I'll order a solar kit directly via the cooperative and Uh and I'll take it out of my money. Then no one can take that money off me before I've paid for it. So it just makes it vastly more effective. Okay, so so they're essentially like buying supplies right there with the the co-op and they're taking care of those transactions so that they protect that. Um, to grow the business before you know the profits are distributed to the to the males, I guess. That's correct. The yeah, they just they just yeah. got this ability to protect their income, make sure. And and the other thing that happens then, and and this is there's an interesting virtuous cycle that happens here. So most of our farmers previously had no identity, no record of their land ownership, and and no proof that they're earning any income because they're. You know, they're selling coca beans beside the road for cash, so no one can prove that. Yeah, no one. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So they couldn't get they couldn't get credit from any mm. any sort of financial institution. It, you know, one of the the tra- most tragic scene we think seeing things we see is that credit in developing communities is often linked to like the local mafia, and their goal is often child slave child slave labor. So, you know, the farmer, the cow dies. To pay out. If, they, if they can't pay, then the, yeah. essentially the, the um, default means will take over, you know, child labor. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, we'll, you know, your, the cow dies, far, farmer has to borrow some money. The interest rate is so high and he's really not allowed to pay it off. And then the debt gets so high and eventually the daughter goes into slavery and ends up in the sex trafficking. Um, and USID yeah. actually did a a big study on this and, and under the previous administration um, had allocated tens of millions in Mekong to just for microloans. But their problem was they couldn't administer the microloans because how do you reach farmers that are unconnected? Like it's a really tragic thing that you see in this area because those people don't have identity, not on any digital record. Their only place in an emergency, you know, and, you know, things like, catching malaria can be an emergency because you can't work, you know, you need to get medical treatment. Things that are so simple that we take for granted can end up the person in debt and and that can that can ruin their their whole life and the, the whole life of their family. Yeah. So just being able to yeah. prove who they are, prove their income, firstly it opens up the ability to get reasonably affordable credit, which mm-hmm. it, it'd be better if they didn't have credit, but if they need it, you want them to be able to get it from a reliable, trustworthy source that's not going to take their daughter. And then the more important one is just so that they can then the cooperative or someone knows they've got income and people will give them money for, say, a solar kit for the house so they can mm-hmm. go away from using kerosene lamps onto 
you know, simple home solar kits, which means they've got reasonable light in the house and and mm -hmm. the, the economics of a solar kit, you know, basic solar kits cost 50 to $100, you know, a panel and a couple of lights. Mm -hmm. Farmers in a couple of months will spend that on kerosene. And the, the lamps are horrible and you see kids holding a book like right to their face with the lamp between them and the, the book and turn right down uh -huh. low, breathing in fumes. It's, it, you see some horrible behaviours that you look at it and go, you could fix this in a minute, but there's a systemic yeah. problem that's holding them back. And it's usually this lack of records, uh, uh -huh. inability to prove what they, you know, that they're a trustworthy member of the community. And, you know, no, which gives them no access to finance, no access to ordering these things. And these are all problems that we 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 solve in some way, or we we help others solve. Right. It's what you we start. You're starting to you're starting to solve. You haven't. You mentioned that you were doing the the other startup. Um, I, I do, do. I take it to that to understand that you left that startup to to start Ag Unity then. Oh, so we, we we basically parked. We we were building a probably best described as a hybrid of. BitTorrent and blockchain, or that was much similar to eDonkey, which is kind of a predecessor to blockchain. It was designed for a market data okay. technology, but we were we were pitching for something really big, and we didn't quite have it completed. And then when we started working mm -hmm. with farmers, we're like, you know, what are you going to do? Mess with Bloomberg or help developing world farmers? It's not really a choice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that one, so, so, that one's been parked for now. Okay, so you still have that that idea is going, but this this sounds like well, uh, frankly, it sounds like a much bigger opportunity and a much bigger, a much more rewarding project. Yeah, it's, we're talk to me. Mm, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, we're, the the numbers around this market are, are quite amazing when you dive into it. You know, there's there's about a half a billion farmers representing mm -hmm. about you know, including their families, you go to about two billion people. And then including mm -hmm. the people in their supply chain that are dependent on what those farmers do, you're talking about three and a half billion people that are in that mm -hmm. couple of acres, few dollars a day, below, well below the poverty line, no access to any technology, remote areas. Like, that's our market. And mm -hmm. there really is not a lot of solutions in that. But those farmers produce, like, I think they produce about $2 trillion of produce that we buy in the developing market coffee and cacao and vanilla and fish and all, all those sorts of things they buy about another trillion and a half dollars worth of things like solar kits and stuff and they'd buy more if they could get them but usually their problem is when they've got money there's nothing to buy but noodles and alcohol so that's what they spend it on mm -hmm. um yeah they've got there's a massive opportunity in financial services which they largely don't use and then mm -hmm. they're the recipients of about half a trillion dollars of foreign aid Mm -hmm. which and this this sort of leads into what we're doing with agriate the digital token that we're working with a lot of very good organizations that distribute funds to support them and try to help the farmers lift out of poverty or be more efficient or get things and mm -hmm. and that money is often horrendously distributed horrendously inefficiently distributed um mm -hmm. and not not through any fault of the organizations like the organizations that do it the best possible way um, mm -hmm. they still struggle to land a quarter of the money that they're deploying into the hands of mm -hmm. the actual farmers that need it. So yeah. much of it just goes in getting it there and you know the systems and processes around it. 
So how would you, as someone that's been on the ground in some of these places, how would you go about starting something like this? I mean, where's the first place that one of our listeners could go to, to, to say, I'm interested in attacking some of the challenges in this market? How do I, how do I start? Yeah, like it, it is actually tricky. So we always partner with organizations like NGOs and, and more recently a lot of ethical coffee buyers and actually some... Okay. Yeah. So we, we try to work with the people that, are, that need to reach those last mile communities but are always struggling to do it efficiently. So, and that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the real challenges with the organizations like World Food Program and USAID and things like they're deploying tons mm-hmm. of money, but... And they're deploying it sort of at a slightly higher level because that's where they can see what goes on. They don't really know how much trickles down to these individual one or two acre farmers because mm-hmm. it's really very difficult to survey them and get them any information. Whereas we do that, you know, very easily. Like we we have a survey module in the AgUnity platform now and farmers will tell you all sorts of or tell the ngos all sorts of information on a regular daily basis if they're getting a couple of cents extra for their coffee beans um because you know they they, and they're quite love filling at the survey so you know what are your kids eating did they have time to study tonight how much is your power costing you all that sort of real information that tells organizations like usaid and giz and world food program how effectively their money is being deployed um, we do a lot of that in addition to the other stuff we do, like, you know, the other farmer functionality, mm-hmm. which makes their initiatives more effective. So when we would start a project, we would typically, like, look for a coffee company who's trying to buy ethically or and they'll often introduce us to the cooperative or the buyer. And we benefit two groups. We benefit the farmers themselves primarily but we also try to make sure that we are of benefit to the we turn the cooperative into or cooperative or the buyer group into a really viable financial venture that can scale much larger than it was. So we often start with cooperatives that are about 20 people and they end up in the hundreds. And that business itself also becomes really good business because previously they were just buying coca beans off, you know, couple of dozen farmers now they're buying it off a lot more but they're also selling them solar kits and fertilizers and seedlings and acting as a conduit to the bank and picking up a lot so this we, we stimulate that whole ecosystem with the farmers and cooperatives and then that has a flow-on effect to the whole community like the other ones that live in the village that are working with the farmers or selling them fish or things if the farmers have got more money everyone benefits and this has quite remarkable effects on the in the villages that we work in and then you know pre, prior to COVID that was the thing I loved best about the job is that we get to travel out to these places and meet the villages mm-hmm. and get the most heartwarming commentary you know they really love this like it, it's it's quite amazing that often people people look at really low-income people and and think of them as sort of a charity case because what they really want is the tools to do things better for themselves. If you give them a phone and the phone does just what they need and they can understand it, then that's not charity, it's empowerment. You're teaching that farmer to do their things better and then they'll invariably go off and teach others and tell others about it and and organize and come back to us with ideas. It's like, oh, we, we need to be able to buy these things through the cooperative and then we help the cooperative organize that. So 
once you kick them off on that system, they take ownership of the ecosystem themselves and, and really transform the whole community. So it's, it's absolutely so wonderful. From, from a business perspective, then the co-ops are, are your clients. It's not actually the individual it's yeah. not the individual farmers. They're not the ones because you mentioned in during the pre-show, they were sort of paying one dollar a month or something like that to use the software. That goes to the co-op, and then the co-op pays you. Yeah. Um, so your sales model would be to approach these co-ops and say, "Hey, listen, we've got this program going. You know, it's working really well. This we've got this pilot wherever it's going. There's." say 50 farmers using it would you be interested in in checking it out and they would be your client is that correct yep but okay everything about that's accurate except the fact that we normally get overwhelmed by cooperatives that find us and and come to us or hear about us <laughs> really because so you're not you're not having to prospect they're just finding you and coming to you no no it's it's, it's interesting how the word of mouth like the bush telegraph works in all these developing countries we actually when we did our yeah. first project in kenya we had a group of farmers from another town walk through the night and and knock on john's door in the morning and say like we want to be the next village that does this so um they they hear what's happening with one group of farmers and that spreads around to like their relatives and neighbours and things like that. And, and, you know, the key is you make the pilot in a particular region or country work really well and everyone knows about it and, and then they come okay, to you. Okay, that and makes so, sense. Yeah. Cause it, so, so talk to me about how you, how you set up an account. Like so presumably, you know, you're giving, you come with a sort of, you ship them a crate of these phones. How do you make your money back on, on the hardware for that? Yeah, like actually, what's, the, what's, re, what's the return on investment for that? You know, setting up a new co-op. Yeah, so there's a bit of a cost for doing the first project because you really got to go in there and we, we've got a team run by a lady called Navitra based in Indonesia and she has now people in seven different countries I think yeah about about seven different countries that are on the ground so that team goes out and trains the first group of farmers so we, we invest a lot in the first couple of hundred farmers because they then become super users and they help you support the other farmers as it grows and that you that onboarding and, and setting up it normally costs about fifty thousand dollars to do the training deploy the first you know first few phones and we typically give that first group of farmers the phones and we well usually we tell them like for the first year or 18 months depending on what crop it is and you know you want to give them time to give a full cycle they get to try the phones and so far we've we almost always get a hundred percent of the farmers say like i want to keep the phone at the end of this and i'm happy to pay for the phone and i'm happy to pay a subscription fee and we usually let them tell us what they think the phones are worth and what we think they think is fair for the subscription fee because it's just, it's interesting to see. So they normally, we buy phones at about $50 and once we fix them up and everything, that, that we land them in somewhere like Ethiopia for about 70 US dollars. And the farmers consistently value that phone at $200. So if they can pay for the phone over two seasons at $70, they think it's an absolute bargain. Um, and they're very happy to pay the subscription fees. Um, Ag Unity has, and so we, Usually that pilot project is paid for by someone like World Food Program or someone that needs the benefits we offer. 
Um, so they seed it and then other farmers hear about it and the neighbouring cooperative wants it and so that's then a very easy onboarding. We get a couple of the farmers from the first village to go over and help train them and we just ship out a new box of phones and the cooperative tells us the identity of farmers and we have a bit of a process to set them up and the phone actually gets locked to an individual farmer's identity. We put a security key on the phone that is at operating system level that, that links that phone and encrypts the transactions off that phone to a particular farmer. So our system is incredibly secure from that respect. It's If somebody steals that phone, I guess there's it's password protected and they can't get access to the funds in the farmer's account. Yeah, and we can, we can break that. Correct, if, yeah. if anyone reports it's wrong, we can break the phone. And then also, okay. then we you can, can remotely break the phone. Like the next time it connects to the network, you just break the phone. Yeah, just it just. Oh, okay. I haven't got. I, I can't do one to one here, but yeah, it it just literally says take this phone back to the cooperative, um, and you know that's mm -hmm. very important. If they lose the phone or it gets stolen, um, and then also, to to put that farmer's identity onto a new phone, we need us and the farmer and the cooperative to all agree that that's happening. Um, so it means that no one else can take over a farmer's identity and the transactions are all locked in the system. So as soon as we brick the phone, the farmer's transactions are protected and really the system's an accounting system anyway. So even if something happened, we can always usually reverse the transactions. So it's, it's highly secure. Okay. okay. So for someone that's listening right now, it sounds like the, the, the approach to get into this market would be to first go to the co-ops discover a problem like let's say they were interested in maybe doing microloans uh you know maybe even on the mm -hmm. blockchain so they go to the co-ops the co-ops sort of say you know oh there's this problem then you would next go to one of these sort of ngos is that correct uh to get a loan mm -hmm. because you, presumably there would be some sort of investment needed that they would probably more than happy be be happy to to provide money to towards because they have this sort of corruption problem now when they send the funds uh you know they send huge amounts you know 10 million dollars that's really hard to distribute so they're looking for places secure places to to invest and that would be a good way for someone that was listening to to, to sort of approach this problem i need say whatever say 200,000 to develop software um for the you know solving this um, financial micros, microloans in, say, in Ethiopia. Would, would you say that's accurate? Is that, is that a good route to get yeah, into yeah. this and market? So even more so than that, because of our hackathon roots, we designed the actual modules in our phone, like the applets, we call them. So we have our super app, which takes over the interface of the phone, and then that has a series of applets. And there's usually, like I say, we start with that with the three, planning, handover, and cash out. And then... Any third party can actually create third party applications. We're running our first hackathon with Virginia Tech in Kenya um, in just over a month's time. Um, we will have Kenyan software developers building applications that they can deploy via our farm, via our application, and we can push that applet out without the farmers needing anything to do. So this has been designed so someone can do something exactly like you say, create a microloan application and we can push that to 1,000 farmers in Ethiopia tomorrow. And although, and we can also push them an explanation video of this is what a loan is, this is, you know, this is how you'll, this is, you'll get some money and then you'll have to pay it back and it'll come out of the crop. And we can interact that with the wallets and the record keeping on the phone. 
and then connect that via our asynchronous communication channel to a back-end web service. So we've provided all the framework that someone could do a micro-loan micro application or a, a, say, COVID vaccination application or a, a malaria dengue tracking application. We had a, a group in South California was looking at it at one stage. Um, and just deploy okay. it for our platform. So essentially, you're creating this community. You're creating yeah, this that's... community. It sounds like a, almost like a, um, you know, your version of like an app store. It's an ecosystem yeah. of, um, and you are perfectly open to other people coming in and approaching you. Say, hey, I've got this idea. Would you allow me to push it out to your users? Have people started to do that yet with you? Absolutely, yeah. We're looking for those all the time, and we we've just got the platform to the point where we can open up the the stubs for this. You know, we, we've just okay. been preparing for this hackathon, so we're we're in a really good place to do that. It would have had to been a bit bespoke mm -hmm. in the past, but now it's all mm -hmm. um, yeah ready to go for that. And we we really look forward to that. We we want to a farmer that's never had a phone before isn't really in a good position to use an app store and get application to connect it. So it needs to work in a bit of a different way and, and we can really easy guide people to do our sort of applets and connect with the other things in their phone and be a lot more functional for like, a lot more useful for this particular demographic. Okay, and what's the, what's the stack? Uh, it's, like it's what stack would, would... Yeah, it's, it's Android and the the applications can almost be written entirely in JavaScript. See, the applets can be almost entirely JavaScript. If there is any programming, you can also use... Um, so are we talking mobile, mobile development like React Native would be Yeah, would be no, we, we, the, the application is done in React. Oh, we use React. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, most of the interface can be done in pure JavaScript, and there's something else we use. Sorry, um, it'll come back to me in a minute. But yeah, all standard mobile application development, and we've got APIs for, say, putting a message on the queue. So if you say, let's just talk through a scenario. Say a farmer wants to get a microloan of $50 or something like that. Mm -hmm. They could have a button on the phone that says, apply for a loan. We can, when the, when the farmer clicks that, they can say, you know, I want a loan because I need to go to the doctor and I'll pay it back over the next two crops. So, you know, simple thing. We can package up that transaction we can include a little bit of the farmer's transaction history with it, and we can put that on our message queue, and then that can all happen while the farmer's offline, and then when they do get some signal or hotspot off someone, it can send that message to a third party who can say, okay, I've got a completed loan application, I've got a, essentially a loan application here. And the way microloans works is really beautiful, actually. The, the microloan company can just put, say, a float of small amount of money into the cooperative, a couple of hundred dollars, and the cooperative can be the one that deploys that to the farmer and then also collects the repayments. So we um, planned this in Myanmar with a company that was going to be based in Hong Kong um, and would, weren't even going to have people on the ground in Myanmar. They could do microloans completely remotely. All they had is a bank account in, in Myanmar and they could send the money into the cooperative and let the cooperative sort of deal with all the transactions between the farmers. Is that, is that using your token? No, no, the, the token is actually, the, the token has a place there in the future. But um, so we've mm -hmm. recently, as of July the 1st, we released Agriot, the digital token. Um, and we also have mm -hmm. a site called AgRewards. It's actually, AgRewards is really interesting to look at. There's, we've got about um, 150 farmers on there, 140 mm -hmm. or so of them have already received rewards. Some of them have got like $50, $70, which is 
that's big money for a coffee farmer in Ethiopia. It's like yeah. a no, yeah, especially when you said they're making one or two dollars a day, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've had farmers that have already had fifty, you know, fifty, seventy dollars in some cases. That's that's very big money. That helps them pay off the phone. They're buying seedlings and stuff from the cooperative. So, uh, aggregate is a direct from consumer to reward way of rewarding farmers and the the simple way to it's got a lot of use cases and one of them may be the microloans in future but the simplest one we like to go to is just coffee tipping so we're working with a couple of coffee companies that buy off communities of farmers coffee companies have an interesting dilemma like say if you're nestle nestle is continually getting hammered about not paying fair prices for their coffee or chocolate but they've got the other problem with consumers that if their price isn't as cheap as everyone else, then the consumers are going to buy from another brand. So Nestle, while they might not be the you know the most ethical company in the world, they really have a challenge doing it because they're in that price point where people will buy the cheapest coffee anyway. Um, and what this allows you know both very ethical companies and the companies that are in the consumer market to do is put a QR code in the bag of coffee. The consumer can scan the QR code. And that will release a little bit of a reward directly from, of, release a little bit of aggregate directly to a selected farmer in that cooperative that grew the coffee. And then the consumer has the ability to say, I'll give that farmer 50 cents worth of aggregate directly. And that's transferred in real time. And because we've already got the phones and the cooperatives already set up and we've already got commerce going, the farmer can use that immediately to pay off, you know, to buy some seedlings or some fertilizer or pay yeah. for their phone or. So it's, it's working really effectively. So essentially, this could this model could sort of replace the fair trade coffee uh, community or whatever sort of. I, you see that sometimes, you know, because it's actually a direct way that I don't know, of, you know, that that actually when I buy some coffee, that I'm actually sending direct to the farmer. I don't know of another model doing that. Is there is there one that you know of? No, no. There, I mean, there's a few tip your farmers, but. The problem is it, it doesn't really work unless the farmer's already got... Like, the reason it works with us is, is aggregate would never work on its own. It only works because it's right. complementary to AgUnity and because AgUnity uh -huh. is essentially handling the transactions between the farmer and the co-op already. Um, that makes sense. And look, we're, Fairtrade's a big customer of ours and we've got great respect for them. But, you know, when you do buy a bag of Fairtrade coffee... Um, they've got their operating costs, and so not all of the extra that you pay on that gets to the individual farmer. And right. this is a way where you can say, look, if I'm giving $2, I know that $2 is 100% landed in that farmer's wallet. Going to, to the farmers, into their, into their crypto right. wallet. That's yeah. right. Um, and so it's really good for, you know, it, it works for things like World Food Program deploy a lot of money to people who just basically just can't make ends meet. Like, yeah. I'd like to illustrate the point that this is actually uh, a for-profit business model because a lot of people would, would think, oh, well, this must, you must be funded or something. But you, you're actually, uh, last time I checked, you were doing, you're over 100,000 MRR. Is that correct? Yeah, we, we have, um, we, we have a, our revenues are about $2 million a year. Uh, in Australian okay. dollars now, so we do we do quite well. And actually, the aggregate solves one of the big challenges. At the moment, we have mm -hmm. you know quite a large number of farmers in places like Ethiopia that we just can't get cash out of the country. Um, yeah. So we end up collecting the money from the farmers and using it to pay our staff, and and mm -hmm. end up getting an excess of that. And with aggregate, we can get 
you know, consumers buy the aggregate, they reward the farmers, the farmers use it to, you know, buy some seedlings and things from the cooperative and the cooperative transfers the aggregate back to us. And if there's any extra, and you can we, convert, transfer cash, yeah. we transfer cash in more than that. So it's a way of ag unity uh -huh. getting paid much better um, from the yeah. farmers. So it and allows us to scale a lot more because now we're seeing the farmers getting these rewards. They can pay off the phone quicker and that means a new farmer can get a phone quicker. So mm -hmm. we normally have a bit of a slow cycle to get additional phones into a community um, because we need the capital to do this. And that, that just solves that beautifully. That, that's great. And, and how many farmers now are, are in your community or your network? 17,000. 17,000, okay. And what's the lifetime value, of, of would you say, of a farmer Ooh. for you? And it's ri sounds like it's rising because you're starting to be able to sell solar panels and yeah, build it, other apps from it. I don't, think we've st I don't think we've yet got a good number on that. I think, I think we're talking probably a couple of thousand dollars ultimately of a lifetime value because... We, per customer, per yeah, farmer. Yeah. I mean, like I say, right right so, now it's 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 in the tens of dollars per month. Yeah. But but what we're now facilitating is that farmer getting access to credit and solar kits and then being able to sell their commodities for a better price and a whole ecosystem of, you know, once you lift yeah. a farmer out, like right now these farmers literally just earn enough to feed them or barely feed themselves. Um, they're not spending any extra. As soon as their income increases by a bit they're actually participating in the world economy. They're, you know, buying a solar kit and buying fertilizers mm -hmm. and, and growing their farm and earning a bit more and then they've got a little bit more to spend. So and, and we're the gateway mm -hmm. to that. We we provide services we essentially act like a bit like an eBay or an Amazon to the farmer. We act as their conduit to be able to get financial and services like the microloans and the insurance and things like that. And so ultimately we're their gateway to a much bigger world where they can get all the benefits that they need from mm -hmm. that's right and and do you, are you finding that other other companies are coming in and sort of following on because it sounds to me like you're this ag unity could really be a billion dollar company you know i mean if because you're expanding the market is 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 it are you finding that other people are interested in this or, yeah, or is, a lot. It, is it really slow because it's so difficult to get on the ground and kind of find and solve these problems? I mean, talk to me about some of the challenges of getting started. Yeah, it's been a five-year journey um, and a lot of learning on the way. And we've seen almost direct copies of what we do, but it's, it's often interesting to look because you realize that they've, they've obviously copied us. And this is cases, some cases it's companies that we know of that have shifted to be much more like us, but they don't really understand the why. So they've done it not in the best or most effective way. And, and that, that's great. At the end of the day, like I'd, I'd almost be happy if we were overtaken by someone that did what we did better because we'd be improving the lives of hundreds, of, or they'd be improving the lives of 100 million people. And if we started that thing, I'd, you know, I'd go to my grave very yeah. happy man. If we, that's right. If we that's that right. People in the world, yeah. even even if I was poor, but yeah, yeah. like I think, I think we've got a really really solid head start into these markets. We've also gained the trust of a lot of really reputable in, you know organisations, which um, mm -hmm. and and like we'll fair naming, trade coffee and yeah, we'll be naming those over the you know we're rolling out Agriad in in six tranches and. You know, first yeah. tranche is Ethiopia and a relatively small tranche, and then we're we're releasing another set of bundles, the Agriate, um, first of October, 
and that'll be mm-hmm. um, Papua New Guinea. What, what exchanges is the uh, token on? Oh, we, mean, could I, could... we actually had to set up our, our own... We call it a consult. It's all private. Yeah, if we, anyone listening wanted to buy some aggregate just to, you know, sort of help out or just yeah. take part in the project, it's... it's yeah, we yeah. created two entities um, in Georgia and Singapore called Aggregator. Um, okay. And it acts like a travel consolidator. So okay. we, we, we looked very carefully at the crypto regulation and particularly the FATF, Financial Action Task Force, guidance that came out earlier this year. And so we're, uh-huh. we're really, you know, because we come from big banking, we know regulation very well so we we were explicitly careful to keep aggregate as you considered a utility and we're in the process now of getting it all out into the community so you know ag unity and the aggregate foundation don't really aren't really holding aren't really controlling Mm -hmm. the currency once it becomes a community currency then it can potentially go wherever the price takes it until then we'll just peg it We, we run these aggregator entities and we run it at a cent and then once we've got mm-hmm. it all out into the community, you know, the the world will value it as what it, at whatever it values it at. And we've created a very limited supply of it. There's three billion mm-hmm. tokens at a cent, so it's not a big, um, mm-hmm. not not a, you know, some of our many of our customers actually transfer that much in a week. So mm-hmm. if and, and and so this is but what it's we, fixed, it's static, right? Yeah, it's static. So, You're not gonna, yeah. Yeah. Is so, there any burn? Sorry. No, is there any burn? It'll it'll slowly. Some of it will disappear because you know farmers will invariably have lose some tokens it and locked in or something it'll, locked. In. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's a it's a relatively limited total supply. So if we put it into some and so so what I'm saying with we're releasing six tranches. So roughly Ethiopia, then Papua New Guinea and Timor Leste, Indonesia's probably third, if not Kenya, Uganda, and then one in. West Africa and one in Latin America. Um, so we'll have six tranches, and in each case, we're introducing a very big um, partner with that. And some of those partners wouldn't traditionally go anywhere near a digital currency. Um, mm-hmm. So gaining their trust and showing them that we're doing the right thing and we've created this currency in a very above board and regulation, mm-hmm. you know, safe. It actually has a, I mean, a lot of these projects, you know, I mean, I don't know all of them. There's thousands of them, but there's only a few that I really know that it, that I would trust that actually has a has a viable business model behind it. This sounds like it's definitely one yeah, with well, a lot of potential too. Yeah, the FATF guidance was, I mean, because I, I worked in banking, I'm not a fan of regulation, but when you know what's coming and what you've got to do, it's very important. So one of the things that, that FATF was, and that's what we're seeing from the SEC now. The SEC isn't really implementing regulations on crypto out of nowhere. They're just following the FATF guidance, which anyone that knows regulation, SEC probably told told FATF what to put in the guidance and then FATF put it out and now SEC is doing it. But um, there's a couple of big things with token offerings. Like if you, if you release a token, the whole platform should already be there. If you release a token to pay to build the platform, it's a bit too much like a security. So you're in a pretty... Um, questionable area murky area yeah you release a token and list it on an exchange or pump the token yourself um, you're probably getting into a security area as well but if you release the token and it becomes just a commodity that's used as an exchange of value and then people list it themselves you're it's kind of like you've grandfathered it in so we've we've been very careful to sort of walk that line and put it position it into a very safe space 
and what we're seeing in regulations in a lot of countries popping up right, you know, in the, literally in the last couple of months, we're seeing that we've positioned this in a really comfortable place and because, you know, we want it to be a currency that runs for the next 10 years and lots of people use it for rewarding farmers and we've got some... My, my favourite use case on this is, is really interesting. It's um, We've got a project in Timor-Leste and we're looking to expand this into a couple of other countries where people are essentially paying far, very small-scale farmers to grow trees for carbon credits. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so many people care about, you know, global warming, the environment, but, you know, average person in Australia produces 18 tonnes of carbon a year and, you know, we can go to climate marches and things, but the most basic thing is we should be offsetting our own carbon footprint. If we, you know, if, if you want to say, you know, I care about this, you should do the minimum. And one really easy way to do that is just pay farmers to plant trees. You're reforesting area, you're creating diverse, you, you can incentivize farmers to plant diverse trees so that they're actually recreating a more native habitat. Um, farmers are earning good money, so you're lifting people out of poverty and you're also doing your bit to address climate change. So we'll be releasing aggregate as a method of rewarding farmers for doing that sort of behaviour. Looking at another project that will happen later in Papua New Guinea also, of just collecting plastic out off the beach and out of the ocean and melting it down and using it for roof tiles. Not, you know, the farmers wouldn't do that by themselves, but if they're getting 10 cents for picking up plastic and melting it down into a tile, they'll absolutely do it, and that's pulling plastic out of the ocean. So it's a really good thing that everyone, yeah. you know, I'm a scuba diver, so I, you know, I love the ocean, but I right. can see plastic into it. And so, you know, yeah. it just makes me feel good to be able to spend, you know, a couple of hundred dollars a year, help a few farmers lift themselves out of poverty and know that there's a bit less plastic in the ocean. That No, that sounds great. We're getting close to the end of our agreed upon time. We actually went over. I hope you don't mind. But um, I wanted to, where are some communities that people that are interested in, in sort of giving to this or getting involved? Are there some communities or places that they can go to find out more information aside from your website, which we'll obviously have in the show notes? Yeah, look, we've got um, a very active Discord community around the Agriot token at the moment. Um, we have an AMA okay. on that every Wednesday night. Um, we, we're going to switch it to a few different channels. So we were, we're on t the aggregate communities are really the ones to look at because you know you can aggregate. Okay, so so that would be and then and if people went into the Discord channel and they just started a conversation there. Other the the, the users there would say, oh, you got to check out this project or check out this one as well. Is that that's a good place for them to go and find out more? Yeah, and we're we're fighting, we're posting, we're getting, we're collecting now. Um, video testimonials from the farmers in Ethiopia that have received agri mm -hmm. saying what they're using it for. Um, yeah. and we'll get you know, tons of information in there and a, a, quite, a quite vibrant community is all very excited about it and yeah, and, and post any question or any knowledge, you, you know, anything you want to understand about what we're doing on there. Um, yeah, A-G-R-I and then capital U-T dot com so that's okay that, that, okay we'll definitely have all of this in the show notes um but thank you so much for your time i, I really appreciate it anything else you want to leave our uh, listeners to before before we let you go no no i just um thank you very much for the the, the time on the channel and, and probably the the closing thought what we're really trying to do with the agriot and ag unity com combination is is just fix a really direct problem, a really simple problem, which is how someone in a developed market can connect directly to someone in the developing market 
and get them to do something that they feel is positive. I think one, the combination of things we do allows us to encourage a farmer to plant some trees or look after their local wildlife or um, send their kids to school. We're trying to create a, an ecosystem that allows us to directly get involved, see that, and then hear directly from that person. And we'll, we have all that works in Ethiopia, and we'll be rolling that all around the world. And I think that's a great thing for people to get involved in. Yeah. Excellent parting thoughts. Thank you so much for your time, David. Thank you very much, Shorty. Pleasure to be on the show. Likewise. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. <laughs>